Well, we're, it's been several weeks since we've talked about this. We were away for one week, and we've had done a several other things, including uh, Lafayette Scales last week was just amazing. If you were not here, you need to get a hold of that teaching, and especially Sunday night. He spoke things over you that were prophetic, and I, this man hears from God when he speaks. He doesn't do that often, but he hears from God, and God spoke some things into this congregation and into your lives, so you need to listen to that. We've been talking for a number of months now about this title, Pulling Back the Curtain. And just to quickly refresh, what it refers to is, is that there are, there are two realms of existence the Bible makes us aware of. There's this natural human flesh, fleshly realm, which is the realm that's detected with your five senses. So that chair you're sitting in, anything that has materiality to it or physical substance to it is of this material realm, if you can detect it with one or more of your five senses. So your body is part of that. Your body came initially, God created the human body from the dust of the earth and it returns back to the dust. But that's not who you are. You're not a body. That's just the suit you wear. That's your earth suit. It's what you live in. It's your house, Paul talks about. It's your, it's your tent. Is actually a better word because the tent is a temporary dwelling that has no foundation. But the real you on the inside is a spirit being. And we live in a realm that is that what we see and what we interact with most of the time is this natural physical realm. But there's another realm of existence out there that is infinitely more real and it is eternal and it affects this life. So pulling back the curtain is the curtain of our flesh, of, our, of, the, of the veil of our flesh, the Bible refers to it, and looking at what's behind that curtain. And we saw that it affects the world that's going on around us. The craziness you see is the result of spiritual beings and spiritual forces at work working this out. And so it's very important to us to learn to live aware of that and of the influence that affects our prayer life. Because prayer is reaching behind the curtain and touching the power of God to influence those forces that are behind the curtain. We saw that it affects our relationship with God because God is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him, not with our flesh, but in spirit and in truth. And then we began to look at who we are, who we really are as a Christian. You are that spirit being. You are either alive unto God or you're dead to God. And if you are Christian, if Christ is in you, you are alive on God. Not your physical, your, your, your spirit man is alive unto God. And now we begin to look over the last several times together at learning how to live in that realm that's behind the curtain. The Bible uses a term, walking in the spirit. It's in Galatians 5. They don't, you don't need to put it up there. It's, it, it's a term, walking, if you walk in the spirit you will not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. And we're all human. We all still have a flesh body. And that flesh body is always trying to gain its ascendancy and its control. And, and one of the, the things religion tries to get us to do is to overcome our flesh by our own self-determination. It's called New Year's resolutions. And they're only good on New Year's. They don't last very long after New Year's. Because anything you resolve to do in your own strength is in your own flesh anyway. So how can you overcome your flesh by your flesh? If you manage to, you're just increasing the power of your flesh in your life. So the Bible gives us God's wisdom, which is that if you walk in the Spirit, 
you won't fulfill the lusts of your flesh. They'll be there, but you'll remove the fuel from them. You'll remove the attention from them. And gradually what happens is that spirit person on the inside, who you really are, and the Holy Spirit on the inside of you begins to become more and more real to you. So that you get to the place that things you used to crave and want, you just don't have any appetite for them anymore. Because the spirit in you is infinitely more real and more satisfying than anything this world has to offer. And Jesus taught this to a woman at a well in John chapter 4. He said to you, you've come for water, physical water. But if you knew who it was that you're talking to you, he would give, you would ask him and he would give you a water that would satisfy your inner thirst, your inner hunger, your inner need, and it would become a well or a source of that water in you so that life of God on the inside of you begins to become more real to you. The things that used to demand your attention and used to control you just don't seem to have the same attraction anymore because when you compare the spiritual reality of the life of God in you with anything this world has to offer it's just no contest and that's what we've that's what we've been talking about and so we talked last time we talked a few weeks ago about John 4 where Jesus introduces this to the woman at the well and the last time we talked about this, it was in John chapter 7, and we're in there, don't, you don't need to put that up, Jesus is at, a, at the last festival of the year, and the, the tradition was that they would take water from the pool of Siloam, and they would go and pour it over the, over the, over the altar. And, and when they marched through this town, city with this, Jesus, they would come to this place, and at that last day on this feast, Jesus stands up and says, if any of you... If any of you is looking for water, real water, living water, let him come to me. And then out of his belly, out of his inner being, shall flow, flow, F-L-O-W, rivers of living water. So it's not just referring to the water, the source of water in you, which is, this is all referring to the Holy Spirit. He makes that clear. He's not just referring to the Holy Spirit in John 4. The Spirit of God is a well in you to bring up refreshing strength, encouragement. He's God's presence in you to satisfy your needs. But He's also in us to flow out of us. A river flows out. You don't know whether there's a fountain around unless you can see it or you can hear the water flowing. But you can tell if there's a river. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, you don't doubt it's there. You can hear it and there's power. In fact, they use it. It's called the Niagara Power Company. I don't know whether it's still the Niagara Power Company or not. But it literally used to control, produce power for all of the Northeast region. And I remember back in, while I was in college, was in the 60s, it went out one time. It was called the Great Blackout. And all of the Northeast blacked out because that source of power of that river, the Niagara River, was cut off. So a river that Jesus is referring to, the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's to minister to others. And we're living in a time when, when most Christians feel inadequate. We feel powerless. How do we, how, do we, how do we communicate with people? How do we share the Lord? How do we become effective in a world that's just so overwhelmed with darkness and has... has cell phones and smartphones and social media that has access not just to us but to people that we want to share the gospel with. What chance do we have? Well, in our flesh, none. Which is why the church has been so ineffective in our mission. 
and we become intimidated. They don't mind if we meet in these four walls. They just don't want us going out with what God has for us out in that world. So we can, have, and this is what some churches have done. We, be, the charismatics and women charismatics and a word of faith. We become, we become a social club, and we come to church to get entertained and get filled up, but have no sense of the need that's out there and what God's put on us. And that's going to change. It has to change. It has to change, and it's going to change. But it's not going to change because we're satisfied with what we have. It's only as the power of the Spirit of God begins to flow out of us. We want it flowing out of this congregation, but you are the congregation. It's not the four walls of this building. It's not like God's going to just drop a dynamo of power here and we op- the ushers open the doors and it rolls out. No, you are the container of the power of God that He wants to use to demonstrate His love and His grace and that He is real. We're living in a world that's dying for anything that's authentic. And there's nothing more authentic than the presence of God, the Spirit of God. And as Christians, we're walking around as closed containers of Him. Jesus used this term. We're lights under a bushel basket. So the world, we can enjoy it under the basket, but the world can't see it, and the world can't experience it. And that has to change. So looking behind the curtain is looking at the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. So Satan has convinced the church that we're powerless because he understands and knows more than the church does the infinite power that is in the church. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power and authority that's been given to those that are true followers of Christ. So today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at how Jesus talked to his own disciples before the major change took place in their lives and in the church. So go with me, if you will, to John chapter 14. As we were worshiping this morning, I felt the Lord speak to me and say, what you're going to talk about this morning is how Jesus trained his disciples to live behind the curtain. John 14. And again, here's the background to this. Oh, Lord. Here's the background to this. Jesus has been telling them all along what was going to happen, but they didn't believe him. They didn't get it. And that gives me hope because I know there are things Jesus has been trying to tell me for a long time, and I didn't really get it yet. Some of them I'm beginning to get more than I've had before, and that's true of all of us. So if you've been here very long, you've been a Christian very long, listen carefully. You're not going to hear something today that you've never heard before. In fact, you don't need to hear new things. You need to really hear the things you've already heard. The Lord taught me a long time ago. He said, when you're hearing truth, if your mind says, well, I've already heard that before, that means you have not really yet heard it. Because His words, He said, are spirit and they are life. And every time I hear, really hear His words, it breathes more life into me. So if I sit here or I stand here or even preach it and say, well, that was nice, I've heard that before, I have not yet really heard heard it. I may have heard words, but I've not heard it and received it 
in my heart. Jesus talked about hearing almost more than anything else. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He said, those of you, you have ears, but you don't hear. You have eyes, but you don't see. That's a prophecy from Isaiah. And Jesus was the fulfillment of it because people were standing right in front of him and didn't see who he really was. And that's still true today. And the last things that Jesus in the Bible says to the church, seven churches in Revelation, all end with he who has ears to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And it was seven different things to seven different churches, which means Jesus has something specific to say to this church as well as to other churches. So do we have ears to hear? So Jesus is now, this is the moment of truth. Jesus is now have his last opportunity to meet with his disciples before everything's going to change. He's going to leave them physically. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to appear to them. But then he's going to be ascended. And that's the last time he's going to appear to them except with things like John on the, on the Isle of Patmos. So he's now going to turn this over to them. Now imagine, that shows you the faith God has. Look around you. God's turned this over to them. And you, it shows you the faith that God still has. And Jesus is preparing them that they're now going to have to live not just with Him, but they're going to have to live and walk behind the curtain. What that means is to be more conscious and aware of the Spirit in you than you are of your own body or the world that's around you. So let's see what he begins to say to them. Let not your heart be troubled. That means they were going to have an opportunity to have their heart troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now look at this next verse. It's been so misunderstood. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to kill a sacred cow here. Pastor Sam used to say, I'm going to turn it into holy hamburger. He's not talking about a building in heaven. So if you've been waiting for your 32-room 32, 32 mansion, you're going to be sorely disappointed when you get there because you're still thinking carnally. The word mansions here is the word meno, M-E-N-O, Greek word meno which means a container for dwelling. But it's the same word that Jesus uses in the next chapter when he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you. It's a dwelling place and it's not a physical place. It's a spiritual place of dwelling and it is in him. He's talking about our union with him and with God the Father. Because he goes on to explain this as he goes on further. For I go, verse 3, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you to that mansion place in heaven. No, I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also and where I go, you know and you know the way. I love this. And Thomas thinking, because he's thinking in natural terms, Lord, We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Because he's seeing himself as separate. You're telling us you've got a place for us 
and, and we know the way to get there, but how do we know the way to get there because we don't even know where, where, where is? We got a picnic this afternoon. If you didn't know, if you didn't know where the picnic was, and I told you, you know, you didn't know that, that the picnic was at Cold State Park, and we just said there's a picnic today, and by the way, you know the way. You're going to look at this. The way to where? Because if you don't know the destination, the way doesn't matter. But see, there's where our thinking gets wrong when it comes to spiritual things. Because Jesus' answer is, Lord, listen, well, I'll give you the answer. Verse 6. Jesus said to them, see, we, we quote this verse without the context. I am, I am the way. But, but, but Philip says, but we don't know the way because we don't even know where you're talking about. See, he's talking about, we, we read that as mansions. So we immediately think of a building in heaven. Again, if I burst your bubble, I apologize, but I guarantee you that what you see when you get there is infinitely beyond your best expectations of a building in heaven. So Jesus is saying to them, He's saying to them, you've got your eyes on the wrong thing. You've got your eyes on the destination. He said, here's where you need to be looking. I am the way. Remember when he called his disciples? Oh, we're not going to get these these notes today. Remember when he called his disciples? He didn't call them and said, look, here's my vision. There's nothing wrong with vision. But he said, he didn't say, here's the vision that I have for this ministry I'm starting. If you can come along and join me, and, and you can believe in this mission, then please join my ministry. That's how we think. Jesus put it the other way around. He didn't even tell them where they were going. He just said, Ron, come follow me. Richard, you come follow me. Luann, you just come follow me. And he called them all personally and separately. But that's what he did with you. He called you. He, Jesus, called you. That's the most amazing grace there is, that he would personally call you or personally call me. Knowing us better than we know ourselves. If we took the time this morning to receive testimonies of how each of you came to the Lord, I guarantee you would hear a different story from each one of you. Why? Because He came to you personally in a way that He knew you would be the most open to receive. And with some of us, He had to keep knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking until we put aside our pride and we allowed Him, we answered the call but he called you just to follow him. And it doesn't stop with that. It doesn't stop with that. He never really tells them where he's going in the three and a half years that they serve him. And what he tries to tell them where he's going, they don't even listen to when he talks to them he's going to be crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. So he's saying, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes from the Father except through me. Remember, he's preparing them to step into his shoes with this ministry that God has started. And now he's going to explain to them what this is like. Verse 7. If you had known me... Oh, wait a minute. They've been living with him, working with him for three and a half years. And he's saying, if you, really, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Now just think, look at this picture. This is, this is not 
you know, off praying in the Spirit, hoping you're hearing from God or not. This is Jesus physically standing in front of you, telling you something, and you're not getting it. Look what he says. If you had known me, I imagine Peter was thinking, known you? We left everything to follow you. What do you mean, know you? See, you can have been a Christian for years and not really have known him. I'm not at all satisfied with how well I know him. In fact, my, my appetite is getting... In fact, you need to be... You need to have a, a, a holy disappointment in your relationship with Him. That you're not satisfied. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know Him and have seen Him. <laughs> what is this about? You've known me, if you'd known me, which means implies you really haven't known me. Because if you'd known me, you would have known the Father. But from now on, because remember, he's telling them, he's preparing them for a change, a shift. But from now on, from this point on, you are going to know him and you have seen him. Next verse. See, they're thinking in natural terms. They're trying to grasp this spiritual truth that Jesus is sharing with them. And that's what's happening this morning. God's trying to help us to grasp a spiritual truth that we struggle with. So he's patient with us. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. Stay there a second. He's saying, you know, we're open. Just show us the Father. Because he's still thinking in terms of a physical being. Go ahead. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long? And you see the frustration. And you've not known me, Philip? You've not understood spiritually what's going on here at all. If you've seen... He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? You see why. Verse 10. Do you not believe... Now we're talking here about dwelling places. Do you not not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority. In other words, everything you've heard me say didn't come from me. It wasn't my ideas. They weren't my words. The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority. But the Father, now we're looking at dwelling places. The Father who dwells in me does His works. Jesus is trying to get them to see or get a glimpse of what this dwelling place is like by using his example, his life with the Father, and they've seen his life as a living example of what he's talking about that he's now to give to them. Because they've been with him for three and a half years, but they've not seen this yet. They've been experiencing the blessing of it, they've been seeing the power of it, but they didn't yet understand that this was not Jesus alone doing this, but it was the Father, look at this, dwelling in Him. Now this is hard for us to grasp, because we think of physical dwelling, which you can only be in one place at one time. When I used to teach on, on spirit, soul, and body, I would, I would take one of the laws of physics as two Two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. It's called a fender bender. That's when two cars try to occupy the same space at the same time. Most of us have had the experience of what happens. Something has to give way. 
But that's because they're in the same realm of existence. So the car in front of me and my car are all of the material realm and they cannot occupy the same space at the same time. God is a spirit and dwelling in Christ's physical body, he can occupy the same space at the same time just as Jesus, the Spirit of God dwelling in you, can occupy the same space as your body because he's of another realm. Can you see that? Okay. I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. So what Jesus is telling them is all these miracles that you've seen me do, I didn't do them on my own, but it was the Father in me who dwells in me, and you've seen the evidence of what he's like. And you've seen the evidence of what he can do because you've seen him operate through my body. Verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sakes of the works themselves. You've seen the works. This shows us why miracles are still crucial today. This is one of the reasons I want to have that healing service. We can begin to see, especially unbelievers, see the presence of God, that God is real, and He can heal things. We had a report this last week, I think it was, of somebody that had stage 4 cancer, was that right? That, one of our, that our, our prayer team prayed for. And when the doctor went to look at it, it was gone. It was gone. And we stand amazed. How can that happen? Because it's God's power. It's God's power for the sake of the works themselves. Keep going. Most assur- Whenever Jesus says most assuredly, now, first of all, understand this. He can't lie. So he has no need to say, in the King James, I think it's a verily, verily. He has no re- reason to say, so what we often do is, you know, uh, to tell you the truth, which always makes me wonder. If you have to tell me you're telling the truth, what are you telling me the rest of the time? But Jesus could not lie, so when he says most assuredly, it's for our benefit. It's because what he, now listen carefully, it's what he's about to say is so unbelievable, he has to say, I am telling you the truth. I say to you, he who believes in me. Notice he's not saying, you twelve disciples. I'm going to let that sink in. Notice he's not saying, you first century church. I've often thought, well, you know, we can think sometimes, well, you know, these verses were just for the disciples. They really don't apply to us. Well, some of these verses are, this is my commandment that you love one another. So does that only apply to the disciples? No. So we take some of the things that are said in these chapters that the church does that we are responsible for, but other things don't apply to us. No, that's not true. You can't pick and choose. He who believes in me. Look at this. The works that I do. He just told us what those works are. He said, if you've seen the Father in me, the works that I've seen, that was Him. They saw works. So He's talking about things you can see. 
Because this is often watered down by saying, well, the works are getting, and it goes on and says, and greater works than these will do because I go to my Father. People debate about what the greater works and they're not doing the works. So people say, well, that means he couldn't get anybody born again, so that means he was saying that's the greater work. And that certainly is a greater work, but that's not what he's talking about. He said, you saw the works the Father did through me. So when he's talking about works, he's talking about tangible, miraculous signs that people can see. There's a verse in, John, in, uh, in Acts chapter 4, and I'm getting ahead of myself, we'll talk about this in a week or so, where, where, the, where Peter and John, I think, have been arrested, and the, the church gets together and, and they get on social media and they try to get up a campaign to set them free and they go pick at the jail. No, they do what we're supposed to do, they prayed. They released power behind the curtain and they were set free. And in their prayer they said, when they, the Peter and John came back, they told them that they'd been threatened to not preach in His name, which tells you where the issue is. And their prayer ends with this, and that, and that you may, you may that, that the gospel may go forth by signs and wonders being preached in His name. In other words, the, the, the healing and signs and wonders are part of preaching the gospel. And greater works than these will you do because I go to my Father. Verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, He's talking about the same thing. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How is this connected? Because the Father lives in Jesus, and as He's about to explain, He's going to live in them. So whatever you do as a Christian is either glorifying the Father or, and I'll leave that to you. Verse 14. If you ask anything, here's the second time, in my name, I will do it. Now I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I'd have to put mine up. But how many of you have asked for something in His name and it didn't happen? Oh. So either He lied or there's something that we're not doing right. There's something that's off. And maybe it's because we're not aware of Him dwelling in us. Because you see, if He's dwelling in us, He's got control. See, most Christians, and this is what I did for years, they think we have a relationship with Jesus, that Jesus is here, and I'm over here, and if I have a need, He saved me, but I have a need, I can go talk to Him, and you know, and I'll either decide to do what He says or I won't, but that's my decision. And then I go back, oh, maybe He's a resource for me. But Jesus is, this is critical, what He's teaching them. Because He's leaving them. 
And if they don't get this, this whole plan of God's is going to fail and there's no plan B and you and I all go to hell. This is what's at stake here. So we see ourselves as separate from Christ, but He's there, He loves us, He's a resource, He saved us, He'll comfort us, but that's not what the Bible teaches. And that's what they've had. They've had Him there with Him. Oh, Lord. Jesus. Let's go to verse 16. Uh, no, it's okay. Do you have verse 15? Oh, whoops. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's not in my notes. Mm. If you love me, see, this is the other side of it. If you love me, you keep my commandments. It's not proving you love me, it's the result of loving Him. It's like if you really get in the, in the pool, you'll get wet. But if you sit on the side of the pool and say you went swimming, then you may have been at the pool, you may have been around other people at the pool, but you weren't in the pool, because if you're in the pool, You'd be wet. So you don't get wet to, show, to prove you're in the pool because the wetness does prove that you're in the pool. You don't earn the wetness. It's the result of getting in the pool. And the result of loving Him is you will keep His commandments. Now you can go to it. Let's move quickly. We want to get beyond that one. And I will pray the Father... And He will give you another helper. Remember, He's preparing them for this change. And He will give you another, 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 another helper. Now there's two Greek words, and this is important, I don't want to get distracted. There's two Greek words for another. There's the Greek word alos, a H-A-L-L-O-S and there's a Greek word heteros heteros means and you can understand when you apply it to things today heteros means another but another of a different kind so heterosexual relationships is it's another person but they're of a different kind the word alos means another exactly like the first one. And that's the word that's used here. I will pray my Father and He will give you another alos, another helper. In other words, there's just like me. The word helper is the Greek word paraclete, which is a combination of two parts. Kalio, which means to call somebody to you, and para, which means alongside. So literally this Greek word means somebody that's been called alongside of you. And don't get mixed up because we're going to see he's in you. He's a helper. The, the, the Amplified Bible chances this helper, counselor, strengthener, and I think it's, five, it's about seven different aspects of this helper. 
So Jesus is basically saying to them, because remember he's talking about the way. He says, what I have been to you, the ability to perform the miracles, the strength, I have to leave in order to fulfill my commission. But you're now going to carry that out and spread this to the world. And I won't physically be here. But what I will be is I will, I, that he may abide... Listen, I'll get ahead of myself. I will pray the Father and he will send another helper, a replacement for me, and that he may abide with you forever. Next verse. It is the Spirit of truth. So now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Whom the world cannot receive. This is why they don't understand you. Why it's ridiculous to try to get unbelievers to understand spiritual truth because it takes the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see it. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him, the Father, nor the Spirit, nor knows Him. But you know Him. Look at this. You know Him. You've known the Spirit. Now he just said, the Father dwells in me. Now he said, you know this Spirit. Why? Because He dwells with you now. He's been with you all along. How has He been with you? Because He's been in me. So what you've experienced of God's dwelling in me has been the Spirit of, that I'm going to send the Father send you. That Spirit's been dwelling in me. That's how God was able to do the miracles. That's how God was able to direct me. That's how God was able to do everything He did. See, religion will tell you that Jesus did the miracles because He's the second person of the Godhead. But that's not what He said, and that's not what the Bible teaches. Philippians 3 says he laid aside, 2 says he laid aside. He laid that all aside. He was born as God, but he was God living in a human body without all the divine attributes. He laid them aside. When he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he, he received some of them back for a moment and they could see his body glorified and then when that lifted, he was back to just looking like Jesus. He was a prototype. And he's trying to show the disciples, I've been the example of what God wants to be in you. And you. So you know him, you've known him, because he's been with you, in me, and now he will be in you. Go ahead. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. He's talking about coming to them through the Spirit who is now going to live in them. Uh, Okay, let's keep going. Let's just see what happens. A little while longer the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Keep going. And at that day you will know that I am in the Father. So when the the Spirit comes, when that's fulfilled, you will know. (laughs) They still don't get this, just like most of us don't get it. What does it mean God's living in me? Because we're thinking of physical beings. Remember my grandson received the Lord. He was young. 
And then he was, the, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was trying to look inside. <laughs> Pulled his pajamas up. It's like, he's thinking in the way do we do in physical terms. But what Jesus is saying to them is you, you really are not, you, you can't, you're going to hear my words, but you're not going to grasp it. Oh, this is so good. You're not going to grasp it until you experience it. See, we've been trained in life to understand things and then believe them. But the kingdom of God works the opposite around. You believe it and then he gives you the understanding. He says, in that day, then you will know that I am in my Father, which is what he's been telling him, and you are in me and I in you. This has changed my life. been a Christian for 43 years and I began to see this about three years ago and it's changed my relationship with God it's changed my relationship with every person it's changed my relationship with this world because I no longer see myself as a being separate from Christ who's with me who's around me who can help me I used the example before of <laughs> I used to have this image because it talks about how we're seated with Him in heavenly places. And I used to have this image that here's the Father, the Son sitting at His right hand. And then there's probably John, then maybe Peter, they probably fought over this. And then there's Paul, and there's Andrew, and then there's, and I'm way over there somewhere. But that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that we are seated in Him. Whatever He is, you are because you're one with Him. You are a child of God because you're in the child of God. Now we'll talk at some point in order to get in Him you can't take everything else with you. Two years ago, I fulfilled my wife's dream and took her to England. And I've used this example before because it's so good. Is to get to England, we had to leave where we were. We had to get in the jet. And we couldn't just bring everything with us. They had a list of things we couldn't bring with us. Couldn't bring Molly. So I had to leave Molly at home. I had to leave things in order to be in the plane. In order to be in Christ, there's some things you can't take with you. You have to leave you outside. <laughs> and that sounds like, well, I, I, I'm getting off track here. I'm not off track. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 21. The, verse 21. Go ahead, next verse. You had it. I thought you had it. I'll read it to you. Oh, we're going to have to close. No, I can stay there. Okay. And he who has my commandments and keeps them, he, he loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself 
manifest myself, manifest myself, make known myself to him. A little later on, we're not going to have time to read the scriptures. He says, and he will teach you when he comes. He will teach you whatever you need. He will remind you of the things that you've heard. Those of you that are students, as long as you've learned it, he'll bring back to your remembrance things that you've studied. But what he'll really bring back to you is things you've read. When I'm preaching, I have verses come to me that I learned a long time ago that if you were to talk to me afterwards, I wouldn't be able to remember them because the Spirit is able to bring back to your remembrance. He wants you to rely on Him. He wants you to rely on Him. He is God, He is Christ living in you, and Christ in you is God living in you. So, I'm going to bring this to a close because it's, it's late. Jesus, again, is preparing his disciples for this change. Paul understood this because in 2 Corinthians 5.16, we quote 5.17, if any man be in Christ. But the verse before, he says, you've, you, you, you know, you, you've, you've known Christ according to the flesh, but you don't know him that way anymore. In other words, they knew him physically. But now our relationship with Him has changed. It's no longer a physical relationship. It's a spirit-to-spirit relationship. And then He's going to go on and tell us that's the relationship we're to have with one another. So if Jesus, for this critical, critical change that's about to take place, not just critical for them, but for us, because if they blow it, we're lost. The most important thing he's telling them is that when I leave, I'm going to come back to you, but I'm going to come to dwell in you by the Holy Spirit the same way the Father has dwelt in me by the Holy Spirit. And the works that I've done, you shall do also because I'm going to be empowering you through that same Spirit that's empowered me. And then the church has gone and done everything according to the flesh. And that's what has to change. And I believe God is building up a momentum for that to begin to change. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as a body of believers, part of the body of Christ here at Faith Christian Center. You birthed this church. You birthed this church 43 years ago. You birthed us for a purpose and ultimately for this time that we're in right now. You've chosen these people that are here today and have been so, many have been so faithful for years. You've chosen them to be part at this time of what you're about to do. And as we see what Jesus did to prepare his disciples, we recognize how can we how can we do what you've called us to do with anything less than what you enabled and empowered them? And so we declare to you, Father, our utter and desperate need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have what they had, to know what they knew, and to walk 
and what they walked in. Father, for the grace to do that, we rely upon you and you alone. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you where we're headed.